You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. you turn to Romans chapter 9 and really I, I'm not going to read the whole chapter but you really got to read in context text this verse but let's skip up to uh, verse 19 this chapter revolves around two questions from an unknown uh, uh, inquirer Paul sets up he, it's a teaching method where he asks a, a, a question, a rhetorical, not rhetorical question, but a question from an unknown opponent or inquirer. Uh, he uh, preempts the question that he knows are going to be asked when he brings up the subject of God's sovereign election. And so we see the first question is in chapter verse 14. Look at it. It says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Or in other words, isn't that unfair? And what's the answer to that? Don't start asking for what's fair. You may get it. And then the second question which leads us into the lesson that we're talking about today is verse 19. And it says, you will say to me then, well, let's go on up. It says, uh, verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Uh, so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. In other words, God can't be fair. God deals with us in mercy and grace. In other words, if God does good to you and me, it's because he is merciful and gracious and you don't deserve it. So if he doesn't have mercy on you, guess what? He's just and righteous to do so. And he's going to get glory not only from saving his people, but also for judging the unbelievers, the lost. Okay, so that's, that's where we are. Now, for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised it up. Let's go on down to our text verse. Uh, verse 18, therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Here's this second question. Who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed, that's you and me, he's likening us as pot, uh, uh, clay in the hand of a potter, Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering? In other words, the first time you sinned or the lost person or anybody sinned, God didn't zap you right then. He was long suffering and let you carry on, giving you chance after chance after chance to call on his name. Right? 
so he endures with much patience the vessels of wrath. And he uses them for his glory and even their ultimate judgment God uses for his glory and for our good, the vessels of mercy. And look at verse 23. Uh, It says, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, here we go, this is our text verses today. Even us whom he called... Not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now, right there, that verse introduces glory, hallelujah, glory to God. Now, I'm telling you, I know we're kind of laid back. They say that a church takes on the uh, uh, personality of its pastor. (laughs) But I'll be honest with you, you know this, you're a lot more reserved than I am. But I tell you what, I I, I read something like this and I want to fall on my face and worship God because I was not part. Hey, God didn't give me the covenants. God didn't give me the law. God didn't choose me as his chosen people. I wasn't a Jew. I was away from the blessings of God. But yet God in his plan and his glory has now come to the Gentiles of whom I am chief. I am a Gentile. I'll explain that in a minute. And God sent the gospel to me. Little Ron Owen, the last of seven kings, in a poor alcoholic home God came and he saved my mama and then he saved me and then he saved my daddy and I glory to God he chose to save this little imp and you can put your name in there too why weren't you born in Iran you didn't choose what family you're going to be. You didn't choose to be born in Calhoun or Magnolia or whatever. It is God's grace that have put you where you are. I'm telling you, you ought to lose some of your dignity sometime. Come down here to the front, and we don't we don't call it an altar. It's not really an altar, but you could come down here, or you could right there in your pew, fall on the face and worship God and weep and beg God to to make you humble and thankful for the grace that He showed on you. Well, I get, I get overwhelmed at it. I guess because I'm a worse sinner than y'all are. Because I know what God had to do to overcome my sin and save me. You say, Brother Ron, you think you're good enough to go to heaven? Absolutely. Matter of fact, the only thing I'm good for is hell forever. The only thing I contributed to my salvation, Jonathan Edwards said, was the sin that made it necessary. But God, when he looks at me to see if I get to go to heaven, he's going to look and see the righteousness of Christ applied to my account. Hey, just a minute. Woo, glory to God, that's good. (laughs) Hallelujah. Well, let me get into this. I've got to go. Ah, forget it. If you're sick of my talking, you can leave whenever you want to, but I'm going to preach this sermon. Our text begins with even us. So you have to go back and see, we've seen the context, verse 23, and in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. So he is identifying generally who the vessels of mercy are and who they're not. This is a revelation of the plan of God to go with the gospel to turn from Israel and to turn to the Jews and began to save the Gentiles. This is his plan. It is also pronouncement of God, uh, of God's partial rejection of Israel of the gospel. 
to the gospel. It is the wide open door of heaven to all who will believe Jew and Gentiles. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And God offers salvation to every man, boy, and girl in this world, not just the chosen people of Israel. We will break our text down into three sections. Three observations of God's plan of redemption on humanity. Actually, two in this sermon. I only have two points. Now, I know that some of y'all, your face just fell, you got real sad, and you're thinking, he's not going to preach very long. You know, I know that saddens your heart. But fear not, I've got 50 sub-points to each of those points. So here we go. Number one, we see the redeemed of the Gentiles. We're talking about you and me that have believed in Christ. I don't think there's any Jews in the building today. If they are, hallelujah. But I think we're all Gentiles. We're all not Jewish, and so this is us. The ethnicity, number one, of the call. Look at this, the call. Romans 9, 24, look at verse 24. Even us whom he called. And this call is not the general call of salvation. It is the effectual call of God to those that are going to believe, those whom he's chosen. What is a Gentile? Well, let me finish that verse. Even to us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. A Gentile is any person that is not an ethnic Israelite. That's a Gentile. You're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. Then we see the affecting. That's the ethnicity of the call. Then we see the affecting of the call. What, what caused the Gentiles... Now listen to me, okay? We're here to study the Word of God. Uh, I want you to listen. Pay attention. Take notes on the back of your bulletin there. What caused all of a sudden... After 2,000 years of nearly complete rejection of the God of Israel, why all of a sudden do Gentiles begin to believe in the Messiah that God sent? Have you ever wondered that? All of a sudden, boom, like the light came on and the Gentiles began to believe. What caused that? What affected that? Well, I'm going to tell you, it wasn't in the Gentiles. It's in God. Is it because they somehow became, the Gentiles became more intelligent? Is it because they think clearer now and have more intellect? Maybe they have become morally good and understanding of sin and righteousness now. What caused the Gentiles to all of a sudden come to Messiah and the Jews to reject him? Why? I want to tell you, this is it. The answer is in verse 16. Listen. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. It is the plan and purpose of God. Say amen. Look at the text in verse 23. Oh, verse 24. Even us whom he, look at this, called. Whom he called. 
And then it goes on, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people. God says, they may be called my people. No, he says, I will call them my people who were not my people. Talking about the Gentiles. And then he says, they shall be called. It is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And to this, what do we respond? Not asking these silly questions, well, that's not fair, is it? Or, or, well, why does God find fault? We're just doing what he said. No, I tell you what y'all do is fall on your face and say, God, thank you for having mercy on me. Then I want you to look at this. This is good. The effect of the call. Are y'all with me? The effect of the This is good. This is shouting grounds. Okay? I, every day, every week, I call somebody. I tell them, hey, look, we had shouting in Antioch East Baptist Church last Sunday. I was the only one doing it, but we had shouting in the church. The effect of the call. Number one, it brings us into his kingdom. The call of God, and when he saves us, when you believe, and you turn from your sin and you turn to God in faith, immediately you become a citizen of heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says. As he says also in Hosea, this was prophesied years before Paul wrote this, I will call them my people. I will call them my people who were not my people. My friend, we didn't deserve it. We weren't of the children of Israel, but God turned to our forefathers and began to save them and send Paul to Europe and send other disciples and missionaries and went on and on and on. And finally, after a couple of thousand years, maybe a missionary or a pastor came to your house and, and witnessed to you or maybe you went to a revival meeting or maybe a friend told you about Jesus and God called you by his grace and now you are a people of God. It brings us, number two, listen to this. It brings us into his loving favor. God's just not in heaven and says, well, I guess, you know, I've got to have a people. Come on in. You know, no, my friend, God loved us. God placed his love upon you. Now, you think about that. You were rebellious. You were sinful. You weren't coming to God. You didn't seek after God. Romans 3 tells us there's none that seek after God. We've all gone astray. There's none righteous, no, not one. The carnal mind is enmity with God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. But God, in his grace, mercy, and love, came to us and opened our eyes and our hearts, and we called on the name of the Lord we were saved and now we see that it was love that drew us in amen verse 25 and he says and I'm going to call her beloved who was not beloved you say why does God love me there's not a preacher in this land that is going to be able to answer that question I don't know just his purpose and grace but I want to tell you, when God said, I'm going to love Ron Owen, he's going to do it. He said, how do I know if God loves me? Because he said he does. 
And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's because of the love of Christ that he saves you. Hallelujah. So it brings us into his kingdom. It brings us into his loving favor. And lastly, watch this. It brings him, it brings us into his family. Into his family. Hey, listen, uh, I'm the last of seven kids. Roger, Randy, Robin, Rhonda, Risa, Richie, and then here came Ronald. All right? Now, as you say, I'm the last of seven, you always save the best for last. Amen? My mom and dad were a little slow. It took them seven times to get it right. And my mom and dad raised all seven of us in a house that would fit up on this stage. I kid you not, Nearly Christy seen the little house we were raised in. I thought it was a mansion. I loved it. I didn't realize we were poor. But we were, our family, you know, you've heard the testimony, we were delved into sin. Mom and daddy were alcoholics, and God gloriously saved my mother one Saturday night and changed everything for us. And God saved us. And I'm going to tell you, there wasn't much, not wasn't anybody clamoring to get into the Owen family. But I tell you, I hear people all the time, well, I tell you what, I'm in this family, and we do this, and we do that, and I, I'm kin to so-and-so. I'm kin to, you know, on down the line, I'm kin to Zachary Taylor, the, I think, 16, 12th prison in the United States. I can't remember. Anyway, you know, we brag about those things and stuff. People say, I tell you what, I, I, talked to, I got to talk to the president. I got to talk to the mayor. I got to talk to the governor. So what? Every morning I get to talk to the king of kings. And I don't call him your honor or your majesty. I mean, I do call him those things. But the Bible says I can come boldly before his throne and call him daddy. I can call him daddy. Abba father. I am in the family of God because I've trusted him by faith. Listen to this. 1 John 3, 1. Listen. Mark it down and go read it and study it later and praise God for it. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. My friend, do you understand? You didn't join this church. You didn't join this church. Uh, just I'm just going to be a member. It's not like a club, a country club. My friend, when you become a member of this church, you're part of the kingdom of God. You're part of the loving favor of God if you've been saved. And you are part of the family of God. Amen. You see, church membership is serious. If you don't love the church, the Bible says in 1 John, you do not know God. Because this is family. I mean, we have people that are on the road of our church and they never come. Or they come very rarely. And we have those kind of people. You know who they are. You know what you ought to be doing? Weeping your eyes out on your face before God for them and going and lovingly confronting them. Because my friend... Let me ask you this. If your husband treated you the way some people treat church, how long do you think your marriage would last? 
Well, I love, I love, I love my wife, but I see her maybe once a month or two months. I hadn't been home in years, but I love my wife. Liar. Don't tell me you love the people of God and you're not here working and blessing and helping and, and ministering. You don't love God. And you don't love the church. But my friend, when you truly get saved, I don't care how hypocritical the people at the church are, you're going to love them. Why? Because they're not just fellow members of the country club. They are family. Washed by the blood. Okay, I got to go on. Number two, point number two, uh, Roman numeral two. The remnant of Israel. The remnant of Israel. Here Israel was, God's chosen people. They were really kind of in a good state compared to what they had been in the past. And they'd kind of got conservative. The Pharisees at one time were like most conservative parties. At one time they were good. But then they got hypocritical and they got uh, 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 pharisaical Pharisees. And uh, when Jesus came along, they were proud and arrogant and they weren't looking for a deliverer from sin they were looking for a deliverer from Rome but my friend I want to tell you something you can have all the justice in the world you can have all of the citizenship in the world and still die and go to hell Jesus didn't come to deliver us from the injustice of this world he came to deliver us from our own sin and what we really do deserve and Israel had rejected their Messiah. They rejected Christ. They would not believe. This was a judgment of God, by the way, on them. We'll see that. First of all, we see the sad fact that is seen. Only a remnant, the Bible says, now listen, shall be saved. Now, I want you to understand this. And this may bother you, but it's okay. I mean, you, you proved me wrong. God wasn't looking beforehand and saying, ah, Israel's going to reject me. No, my friend, God never does that. He does not look forward in time to see what's going to happen so he can make his plans. No, he makes his plans and that's what's going to happen in time. And this is all part of God's plan. And at the same time yet, it is judgment of God on Israel for their unbelief. Only a remnant will be saved. Verse 27 says, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, although ethnic Israel is, is numberless, only a remnant will be saved. It's not your biological blood and, and uh, descendancy that saves you. It is your spiritual new birth that saves you. This remnant is not just ethnic Jews, but a believing Jew. Jews God chooses for himself. Number two, a remnant in the days of Isaiah. Uh, look at verse 27 says, And he says also to Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. That's talking about me and you. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short and right 
righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, he would, we would have been like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? And we'll look at those later. Forgive me, I should have read all that before we started the sermon, but there you have it. There was a remnant in the day of Isaiah. He's prophesying, prophesying about that in verse 28. Listen, for he will finish the work and cut it short. What does that mean? Well, he's talking about what he did in the days of Isaiah. You know what happened? Uh, it says uh, he'll cut it short righteously because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. What happened in the days of Isaiah was this. It's a prophecy of the captivity of Israel and Judah by the Assyrians and the Babylonians because of their unbelief and their sin. And he sent the Babylonians and the Assyrians in to take them captive. They came in and they scraped Israel off the land like butter. A short work. And they were taken off into captivity. And as Isaiah said... This is Isaiah 1, 9. Unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now Israel is at, at no point was ever short of physical descendants, but their line of godliness and belief wore very thin and is even thin today. A remnant in the days of Christ there was a believing remnant in the days of Christ. Now you think about this. Jesus healed thousands, thousands. He wiped out disease in Palestine, but he healed thousands. And yet we find out by the end of his ministry, as far as we know, he had between 150, 120, and 500 followers. That was it. That was it. Many of them turned against him and cried, crucify him. A remnant believed. There's a remnant even in our day today. The statistics are that of Israel, only 2% of Israelites, of Jews today, believe in Christ. And I dare say it's probably less than that because part of that 2% are really probably belief in name only. They don't have true righteousness, true belief in Christ. A remnant. But my friend, God has promised to save Israel and he will. And I, I'm, I am a, a premillennialist, and I believe one day God will save the people of Israel, and they will inherit all of the land and all of the promises that we studied about this morning and last Sunday on the promises of God to Abraham. He is faithful. He's faithful. All right, go go on. We know, and that leads me to my last point, a revival at his coming. Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a, his firstborn. One day when Jesus comes again, they will look upon the nails and the scars in his head and they will see the wounds in his feet and they will Turn to God, the Israelites will, and he will save the rest of the chosen of Israel. <laughs> Romans eleven twenty five. We'll get to this in a couple of uh, few a month or so. 
He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all of Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God is going to save his people. And it may be a small remnant now, but God is not going to leave one of his chosen people behind. The sad fact sorrowed over. The sad fact sorrowed over. The next point B here. Verse 27 says, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. The word cries means to cry out loud or scream. Matthew 9, 27 gives the sense of the word. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy upon us. See, here's the thing about it. When someone sees the, the true depravity of their soul and the true con uh, 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 condition they're not going to pray. You know, you see people. Our Father, which art in heaven. No, my friend. When you understand you're going to a devil's hell to burn eternally, and that's what the Bible says, or none of it's true. And you know that you're away from God, and you see your desperate plight, and that your sins are dragging you to a devil's hell. You don't take time to know how to say or what to say. You say, oh, God, I am a sinner. Save me. I deserve your punishment. I deserve the wrath. But oh God, I can't save myself. Save me or I die. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross. When did you cry out in desperation? See, God didn't save you to give you a good life. God saved you to keep you from going to hell and for his glory. I got to go. Here we see it as a cry of desperation. Isaiah cries out with a lamenting, weeping cry over the judgment of Israel for unbelief. Jesus weeps over Israel's unbelief. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. He says, the Bible says in Luke 19, 41, Now as, the, as, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known even you especially in your day the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Did you hear that? Hidden. Not you're just blind. He said, I purposely have hidden it from you. In conclusion, Israel has continually sinned against God and now has rejected his son. God has confirmed most of them in their unbelief. In judgment, he has hardened them in their rebellion. If you would, get your Bibles. We're almost finished now. Stay with me. And turn to Isaiah 6. Well, you, you may not remember it. It's in the year King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. How many of you love that chapter? Man, you ought to. It's, it's good. The first half of it's really good. But the problem is we always end at verse 9 or 8. 
And I'm going to read this from the Legacy Standard Bible. It's the update of the New American Standard Bible. I really like this translation. It is very word for word. I love it. And I'm going to read it from the LSB. And uh, this is what it says. In the year that King Uzziah's, uh, the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried out to another and said, Mary, holy, 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 just like you sang this morning. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called out while the house of God was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me. I saw Jesus. He was. It made me see myself. And I said, cursed is me for I am ruined. I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. How do I know this? Because my eyes saw the holy king Yahweh of hosts. Hallelujah. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. How did he do that? What, why did that? Because you know what's on the altar? You know what's on the coals of the altar? It's the little altar that was before the Holy of Holies, that little one-by-one altar. And the first thing they do is put the blood of the sacrifice on the altar. Well, this is the real one in heaven where the blood of Jesus was there, symbolizing true salvation. That's the only way it could have saved him from his sin. It's the blood. That's how he got saved. And everybody says, Hallelujah, glory to God. And then I heard, verse 8, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Oh, man, hallelujah. Yeah, friend, praise God, revival. I want to be served. God, I'll go. I'll go do your will. I'll preach for you. We all feel that. And everybody ends right there. They, they quit reading sometimes. You can't do that. Look at verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. In other words, I'm going to send you to preach a revival, Isaiah, and they're going to think you're wonderful and your preaching's awesome, but they're not going to repent. They will hear you with their ears, but they will not understand because they're dead in their sin, and I have cursed them. Verse 10, render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes. I thought that was wise preaching to get people to believe. No, my friend Isaiah, you're going to be a judgment of God on the people against their unbelief. Unless they hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. I don't want them to return. I don't want them to be saved. I have cursed them because of their unbelief. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he said, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitants, houses are without people and the land is devastated to desolation. Verse 12, and Yahweh was removed from men far away and forsaken and the, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Now listen to verse 13, yet there will be a tenth portion in it, a remnant will be saved 
And it will again be subjected to burning like a terebinth or like an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, felled when it is cut down. The holy seed is its stump. Just a small believing remnant of God's chosen people. And now, let me tell you, you see that big oak tree back there? That's the Gentiles who are believing, the church who are coming to Jesus. God has always had a people. God now calls from the Jews and of the Gentiles a people for his own. Always he will have a people. And why is that? Again, again. 24, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, God is going to have a people. Not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. You say, Brother Ron, I want to be saved. I got good news. If you want to be saved, you can be. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you want your sins forgiven? Do you want to know that you're in the family of God, the kingdom of God, loved by God? The Bible says that you must turn from your sin, self, and Satan and turn to God in faith and say, nothing in my hand I bring, relying only on the righteousness of God that will be imputed to you by his death, burial, and resurrection. You only need to call on the name of the Lord. 